Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And welcome, Jason from the Bahamas. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Now, I, I know this is a good podcast when you're taking time out of being in the Bahamas to talk to me about your amazing work with athletes from around the world. So I feel very honored. Well, I appreciate that, but I am actually working here. So I've been here since last Sunday. We have a golf tournament coming up. And so we're actually preparing for the golf tournament as we speak. Do you know how many haters you're going to have, Jason? First, you mentioned Bahamas, then you mentioned golf tournament, then you say you are working. Yeah, I know. So that's one of the luxuries of uh, being a performance coach is you do get to travel to some amazing places all over the world and get to see these amazing things. And, and typically, you know, because I do coach a lot of golf, you know, typically I'm in pretty nice places. Well, you're being a bit modest. I mean, you're coaching some of the highest performing athletes in golf, right? Yes. I've been very fortunate that in the last, uh, I don't know, eight years, I've helped two golfers get to world number one, win a Olympic gold medal in the 196 or the 2016 Olympics. So it's, uh, it's been a pretty good run so far and hopefully we'll keep it going. So now you're in the Bahamas, you're working with some athletes during this golf tournament and your career is not just with golf athletes, it's also people in basketball, NFL and so on. Absolutely. So, you know, what, what I coach is a little bit different than what most coaches coach. So for me, uh, we call it, you know, performance coaching, but really what it is, is it's about developing a mental performance coaching mindset that allows an athlete to be their most athletic self while they're performing. Now I've seen in some of your work and with people that we've spoken to, you use the word called self-coaching. I've never heard that before. What is self-coaching? Is that the, the key principle behind the work you do with athletes? Yes. You know, so we want the athletes to be the ones that are, you know, making the decisions for themselves. And, you know, when it comes down to it, they're the ones that are having to perform. And so it's very beneficial if the athlete has the confidence that they've made the decision in the manner they need to make it so they could be as free as possible. And, you know, when you have an athlete that's made a decision that they're committed to, then the likelihood that the outcome is an outcome where they're being their true athletic self, you know, then you end up with some pretty special performances. Next you know, incredible intuitive sense, because we work with a lot of CEOs and C-suite executives. And you are right. If they are dependent on us for coaching and dependent on us when they need to make an important decision, they are not always going to be able to act because we're not always there to guide them. That's the principle you're talking about. Only the athlete knows everything and therefore they're in the best place to make the decision, but they need to have the skills to coach themselves. Is that a good interpretation of it? Yes, I would agree. And, you know, and I, and I have a, a great story about a executive that I helped coach through a particular situation where they were rolling out some new software where the software wasn't completely finished. Mm -hmm. And it was this, uh, you know, they'd flown in, you know, 
500 people from all over the world and spent a couple million dollars, you know, getting ready for this launch. And, and this particular executive knew that the software wasn't done and had developed this mindset where all they could focus on were the problems. And so after you know, meeting with the executive and, and basically coaching them the same way that I would coach an athlete is you would start with changing the mindset. So getting out of the problem identification, problem creation mindset, getting them back into a, a neutral, slightly positive mindset, and then just having them you know, so we, you know, go into the executive suite and they've, they've listed 27 possible things that could go wrong during the presentation. Like, you know, and the, and the mm -hmm. first thing was the software is going to have a glitch and everybody in the audience is going to know that it's not working yet. So that was the big problem. And then the, and then the last problem was I'm going to trip while I'm walking on stage and everybody's going to laugh at me. Right. So it's those, the yeah. 27 different, you know, outcomes in that whole range. And after we just did a, a little bit of a mindfulness exercise and, and got them into a, a neutral state. I said, just, just imagine I, I brought a lamp with me today and we're going to rub the lamp and a genie is going to come out of the lamp and the genie is going to give you the solution to the very first problem. What would the solution be? And this executive looked at this, this board and said, oh, that's easy. I would just, uh, the genie would just do a PowerPoint presentation where I could click through all the different screens and then I could move the screens with a, with a clicker and nobody would ever know that the software wasn't up and running. And then we literally went through all 27 problems with that same mindset. So, you know, to me, that's one of the critical things about how people don't realize that they get stuck in these problem mindsets and then it's hard for them to, to create solutions. So one of the most important things that you can learn in self-coaching is, is how to get into a neutral state where you're not stuck in this problem-causing state and all you see are problems. Okay, that's very interesting. Let's unpack that for the listeners. So what you're saying makes sense to me because I've seen that with many, many clients. They only focus on what can go wrong and they almost manifest it because that's all they worry about. It not only does it um, uh, become something that becomes a reality, it also becomes a demoralizing experience because they're only talking about the negative. Yeah. So I would say, Michael, the, the quote that resonates with me when, when I'm talking about this yes. is you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. Oh, that's a good quote. I like that. And the second thing which you've done is very interesting in this example is that Initially, that client, that executive was focused on solving the problem of making sure the software worked. But when he stepped out of it into a neutral state, he realized it's not the right problem. The right problem is how does he not embarrass himself, which is not about making sure the software doesn't work. It's just to make sure things run smoothly, right? Right. It was about the presentation, right? Yes, that the that presentation. was the goal. The, the reason why they were having all the people there was to present he knew that they would solve all the problems and the software would eventually work. So it wasn't, it wasn't that he was trying to, to present something that wasn't going to work in the future. They knew it was going to work. They just knew that it might have a glitch or two. The bugs hadn't been fixed completely. And so why not present it in a way the future version of it is going to be what the, you know, his clients were going to yes. receive. 
Yes. But that's interesting because in everything in life, it's just a small nuance that makes a significant difference. Yeah. I, so here I it was about, do we present the current version, which may have a few glitches, or do we present the future version, which we know is going to be perfect, right? Yes. It's such a small thing. So think about the, the, the start of this discussion and this case example you presented if you give this to anyone, they would say, yeah, let's sit down and figure out how we can make sure this software, whatever it is, works perfectly, but that's not really the problem at all. It's about how do you get the presentation to be the best experience for the audience? Exactly right. And that was the goal, right? And that was yes. the reason why the executive had started to create you know, all this stress and got into a state of distress where they were trying to control something that was outside of their control. And you and I both know that when you're trying to control variables that are outside of your control, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to struggle. You're going to be very frustrated. So this is a good example of, a, you know, I always say that the best solutions or the best ways of solving a problem are really based on small changes. So how does this work? And give me an, an athletic example of how you would use this technique. Sure. So usually you'll have a person, they'll come to you and they're struggling with something. And let's say that something happens to be putting. So yes. their belief system is if I could only be a better putter, then I'd be able to achieve all the things that I've wanted to achieve. Yes. Well, their mindset is that putting is the thing that's holding them back. So because that is a belief, whenever they miss a putt, they validate that belief by saying, see, I told you so I'm not a very good putter. And then they start in with all the reasons why they're not a very good putter, where a person who is a good putter or a great putter or believes that they're a good putter, they miss the exact same putt, but they don't look at it in that negative light. Yes. And it so doesn't what, become yeah. proof of a problem. It's just an aberration. Right. And so the, the, you know, the, the real problem in the totality of it is that we all believe that we're having a thought. The thought must be real. And that's when we start to get into trouble, right? Because that, that person that used to be a great putter and now is struggling in putting, they're still a great putter. The only thing that's gotten in the way is they missed one or two putts or whatever. And then they started thinking that there was a problem. So then they got stuck in that problem mindset and, you know, and they created this problem that never existed before. And now they're trying to solve this problem from that same mindset and it just can't be done. Do you also find that if they've convinced themselves that putting is the thing that's going to hold them back, when they make a mistake putting, they basically give up after that because they feel that putting is the central problem. If they're not good at it, they might as well not continue. Do you find that ripple effect? Yes. And it's a validation of a thought that has created a belief or, you know, a perceived belief. And then they defend the, the belief is reality. Yes, because you also see that in the business world where people convince themselves that if they don't succeed at a certain task or they don't master a certain skill, they can never have a fulfilling and successful career. And every time they start down a project, if that task requires that skill to be displayed early on and if they fail at the skill, they basically self-sabotage because they think they're never going to succeed anyway without that skill. So and I could see that happening with an athlete. So how do you get them into that neutral state? How do you get them to see past it or to put it aside? So I don't know how much of your audience uh, has a regular meditation or mindfulness practice, but, but you know, usually 
if a person comes to me and they haven't done any mindfulness work, yes. we usually just start with some simple conscious breathing exercises. And we know that by getting somebody to focus on their breath and shift, shift their attention or their awareness away from you know, this problem yes. mindset and they can get them into a neutral mindset, then they're much more suggestible. And when they get into that su suggestible state, then it's easy to get them out of the mindset of only creating the energy around problems and then get them into a, a solution-based mindset. And so, you know, from a brain science standpoint, it's they're living basically in a high beta anxious state through some mindfulness exercise, we can get them out of high beta into alpha, and then maybe even potentially some low theta state where they're, you know, it's almost like daydreamy, where they yes. can start to visualize themselves being successful. And once you can get people into that state, then it's easy for them, or easier for us to help them shift out of that state. And then, you know, they, they start to see solutions rather than problems. I'm happy you brought this up because I think you would find this with most audiences, but particularly our audience, which tends to be management consultants, senior executives, venture capitalists, private equity, investment bankers, and so on. It's an audience that tends to look down on soft capabilities. Whenever we look at clients who are not performing well, they always think it's because they are not good at a skill. But I always tell them it's actually a mindset problem as opposed to a skills problem. And when we go into things they can do to improve what we call implementation, how do you implement the ideas? And we talk about meditation, mindset, and so on. They immediately reject it because they think that's not what they need to be successful. So I think that you know, one of the hurdles I think you would face is how do you get high-performing athletes to invest in things like controlling their mindset, investing in meditation? And so on? Is that a hurdle that you also experience? Well, I would say that initially there's pushback, but whenever you can show people results, then they, they tend to get on board pretty quickly. And, and you know, most of the work I, I do is based on awareness. And you know, if you're a self-aware person, then and the more self-aware you become, the easier it is for you to distinguish the thoughts that are causing you to depreciate yourself and, and understand again, that awareness is what gives meaning to thoughts. So if yes. I'm having a thought right now, and let's say I'm having a thought about being nervous and being on this podcast, and I focus on that thought, I guarantee you, I'm going to create that nervous energy. And then my physiology is going to change and my heart rate is going to go up and my breathing is going to change. And then I'm going to, you know, emote that emotion of being anxious and nervous. Well, yes. at that same point, I realize I have that thought. And rather than attaching to that thought, I go, oh, that's not a useful thought. And I shift my awareness away from that thought to something else, then that never happens. And that's really at the core of what I do with the people that I work with is I want them to become as self-aware as possible and we go back to the self-coaching book, we want them to learn how to self-coach themselves out of these situations so that they don't get trapped emotionally by these thoughts that aren't necessarily based in reality at all. Okay, that's pretty interesting. So let's unpack this for the audience, right? So let's assume you're working with NFL quarterback, right? Which I'm sure you have as some of your clients. So 
when this quarterback goes out to play, he has certain routines that he, follows, that he follows physiologically with his body, certain routines in his mind, and those routines lead to certain outcomes. But if the routines are wrong, you've got to find ways to break those patterns. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. You have to be able to shift. Let's say, so had a quarterback recently who couldn't throw a spiral. And, you know, and for an NFL quarterback not to be able to throw a spiral, that's a, you know, pretty damaging confidence issue with them. And so you could imagine that every time they got the ball, they're trying to think about how do I throw a a perfect spiral? And the harder they try, the less often they are able to actually throw a spiral. So, you know, the problem with thinking, especially in sports, is Thinking is the thing that disrupts flow. So when you're performing, you know, even if you're an an amateur athlete, you're not a professional athlete, your thinking brain can do about 60 things a second in sequential order, which sounds pretty fast, but your non-conscious mind does somewhere between 11 and 33 million things a second all at once. And so when you look at the math, then you realize that having a thought or trying to do something is actually the thing that's obstructing the flow that's allowing you to do it. That makes sense. So basically what you're saying is that don't get bogged down in the how. Don't try to think your way to the how. you got to first have a strong reason for doing it and we have the right mindset. Is that a good way of summarizing that? Yes, exactly right. You have to be, again, in a neutral mindset you have to have a clear intention, but then you have to just trust that you can do it. You know, so we've all had an experience where we're sitting in our office and we wad up a piece of paper and there's a trash can on the other side of the room and we throw the piece of paper and swoosh, it goes right into the trash can and we think we're ready for the MBA, right? Yes. And then, right, somebody happens to see from, uh, you know, the other office and they come in and they go, hey, Jason, I'll bet you $20 and and see if you could make that shot again. But you know, this time when you, you make the shot, I want you to really think about how your finger pressure is on the piece. Yeah. I mean, you have no, no chance of making the shot because now I went from this neutral state of a clear intention and then just having no concern for outcome to a state where now I'm trying to do something that I don't really know how to do in the first place. And everything is focused on the outcome. And it's all the thinking about that, that now has gotten in the way of me performing. Yes, that's a good point. And you raised something else here, which I think is important. So let's spin back to that, um, no pun intended, obviously, right? Let's spin back to the NFL quarterback who cannot throw a spiral. Sure. How often do you find athletes get caught into a paradigm whereby they beat themselves up about not being able to do something that they were never taught how to do in the first place. An example of this is this NFL quarterback. Was he taught how to throw a spiral? Yes, and and the answer is, I'm sure at some point in his career, he received some coaching about how to throw, but I'm not sure that that particular athlete was taught exactly how to throw a spiral. And so what happens is, you know, let's say there's a couple incomplete passes yeah. and, you know, and then somebody says, Hey, you know, Joe, the last time that you were out on the field, 
you know, your percentage of past completions went down to, you know, 42%. And normally it's at 72%. You know, what's going on? You know, you're, if, you know, if this keeps up, you know, you're, you're probably going to lose your job to the guy that's the backup quarterback because, you know, he's throwing yes. at 75%. And then all of a sudden Joe goes, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my job if I don't start completing these passes. What's wrong with my passing? And then for the first time in their life, they start to think about how to throw the ball, right? Yes. And that's where the problem occurs. So it goes back to that quote before, which is you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it, right? Had never thought about how to throw a football, maybe thought about the route or the plays, but not the actual act of throwing. And then the next thing, they're struggling to throw the ball because now they're thinking about throwing. No different yes, very than the problem. example with the, uh, you know, with the waste paper, waste paper basket and the, and the wad of paper. Yes. A good way to think about this is, you know, I've worked with clients as well who are very good at doing something. I mean, whether it's um, strategy work or leading teams and so on. But whenever you give them feedback, when you, when you point out, for example, and you say, you know, I've worked with maybe 500 clients and you're in the top 20%. And the first thing they notice is, well, I'm not the best, so I've got to improve things. What am I bad at? So do you find that the way you give feedback matters to these athletes? Absolutely. I think, I think what's important is, is you create a space where the athlete has a, you know, autonomy to be able to be vulnerable and to, to play the game and then what you do is, is you measure their outcomes in a manner where you're, you know, you're keeping track of, you know, the skills that need to be worked on, but you're not necessarily getting them bogged down in the mechanic. So, you know, everybody, there's fundamentals yeah. to everything that you do. So you spend a certain amount of time on fundamentals, and then you're going to spend a certain amount of time on strategy. But then at the end, you always want to finish with a certain amount of time spent on actually playing the sport again. And I think that's the element that most people leave out. And I think, you know, quite frankly, in the business world, there, it's very parallel, you know. And so if you know, you're an amazing lawyer, you play at being a lawyer, you know, and if you're an amazing person that's in finance, well, that's your sport. That's your game. You're absolutely amazing at that game. Well, if you start to doubt yourself and you start to second guess your decisions, then you're going to find yourself in trouble. And, and if you spend too much time, you know, in that line of thinking, you know, then that's when the problems really start and, you know, your productivity goes down and, and then, you know, you end up, you end up needing, needing somebody to help you get out of that, that hole. And it must be much tougher for athletes who, are measured in real time, not just by the employees, but by the entire world. So how do you get them to separate that anxiety, that emotion, that drama that happens every single time they perform? Well, it's really comes back to what's in your control, you know, and, it, and if you can identify things that are in your control and identify things that are not in your control, and you limit the amount of time you spend worrying about the things that are not in your control and focused on the things that are in your control, then you're going to usually be okay because the outcomes are going to take care of themselves. But you know, if, if you wake up every day 
and you're worried about all the things that are outside of your control, then, you know, like we said earlier, you're going to find yourself really struggling. Yes. I mean, I remember speaking to Scott O'Neill, who you probably know, he used to be president of, I think, Harris Entertainment, which ran the, which owned the Philadelphia 76ers, well, still owns them. And he was telling me something similar, whereby because of all the pressure and all the intensity, you've got, he as a CEO has got to create an environment whereby he almost cocoons his players away from that. So there's almost a safe space for them to make mistakes, for them to fail, but he cannot use the pressure from outside to as a lever to try to get them to improve because they're under so much pressure, he's got to find a way to block them from that pressure. And it's very similar to what you're saying. Right. You don't want to have the pressure be the motivator. Yes. You know, you know, we all have a certain amount of healthy stress, right? That's that you stress that helps us, you know, it's that drive to, to get better and to, you know, every day wake up and, and try to be a better person tomorrow than we were today, that kind of thing. I mean, and that's a positive stress. What happens when you start to focus on things that are outside of your control, you know, you know then the stress turns into distress. And then that's when you see people really start to struggle. Yes, that's right. Because, and this is an important thing because many leaders like to use stress as a motivator. And maybe in some professions, it can work because the stress is not that intense. But if, for example, if in the world of investment banking and finance, where you've got you know, billions of dollars in the line, if you get deals wrong, it can become too much. So, so how, do you, how do you teach athletes to self-coach and create that barrier? I mean, it must be so difficult to do that. Well, I think, you know, for most of the athletes that I work with, it's about them becoming more aware of themselves and getting to know themselves. And I think, you know, when you start to understand who you are and understand what your values and virtues are, and you start to make decisions based on your values and virtues, and, you know, I think that makes it... A, you, significantly easier for them to perform day to day. And a lot of times we have to have, you know, conversations about, okay, tomorrow, what are going to be your goals tomorrow? You know, give me three goals yeah. tomorrow. And they have to be goals of things that are all in your control. And, you know, and typically that's not what athletes hear when, and when people wake up in the morning and it doesn't matter if you're C-level executive or you're, you know, you're one of the top athletes in the world. When you start to focus on goals that are in your control, you you'll find right away that your life starts to have a completely different energy around your, just your day-to-day -day outlook on how the world is unfolding. And, you know, to me, that's what it's all about, right? It's about creating joy in what you do and, you know, and, and having a certain amount of play every single day. And if, and if you can be, you know, the kind of executive or athlete that wakes up every day and has goals that are in their control and finds joy in what they do, you know, then typically the outcomes take care of themselves. Yeah. It seems as if, you know, you have a nice way of saying it. It's almost as if you're getting the player not to focus on the resources they have, resources being the skills, the capabilities, and so on. You're getting them to be comfortable with what they have and trust that they'll be resourceful in using what they have. Because I think most people, they stack up their skills and it gets into their head. But what you're almost doing is you're getting them confident with who they are and teaching them that it's okay if you're not perfect at something, you just got to find a way to use what you have. Is that a good way of summarizing that? Yes, I agree. And, you know, and, and nobody is perfect, right? So, you know, perfection is a, is a curse. I mean, even in, you know, 
professional athletics, right? So, so you want to, you want to have a, a, you know, a goal of mastery rather than perfection, in my opinion. So if your goal is to just continue to get better, then you have to trust that the compounding effect of that is going to pay off in the long run. Yeah. And what's interesting about this is that we do live in a world and, you know, through marketing and advertising and so on, whereby everyone thinks if they just learned this one skill, it's going to have this enormous impact on their careers, whereby they probably have all the skills they need to be very successful. And it's more about figuring out how to call on those skills when they need it than by stacking more on top of it, right? Absolutely, Michael. I mean, I think that's very well said. And, you know, to me, we all have a certain superpower inside of all of us, right? We all have this, you know, this uh, purpose for why we're here. And, and I think if people spend the time to figure out what that purpose is, you know, this coach I work with, who's, who's very famous, his name is Tom House, he describes it this way, there's plenty of people that want to do things and want to be successful. He said, but the people that need it, can't be stopped from achieving it. And I always like to think about that, because there are so many people that say they want all of these things. But how many people actually need those things. Yes, I like that. Because, you know, when I work with clients, and they always tell me, Michael, I'm not able to do this, I was not successful. And they ask me, you know, what am I doing wrong? It's always the same thing. They don't have a strong enough why for why they want to do it. Because if they had a strong enough why they will find a way to do it, right? They will move heaven and earth. It's not about skills. It's about why do you want to do this? Why is it so important to you? Right. It's about desire and motivation. And you said it there. You, you could not stop them. If you found the thing that they could not live with themselves, if they couldn't do it, there's no way you could stop them from achieving it. And so to me, you know, that's what you want to self-coach people towards is you want people to be able to figure out what are those things? What is that, that purpose in your life? What is that thing that brings you so much joy that nobody in the world could stop you from not achieving it? And then let's see what you can achieve. I like where you focused on joy there, because a lot of times when we, we talk about to clients about having the why, the thing that you know will not stop them, it tends to be sometimes negative. But I like the fact that you talk about the positive things because it's better and more fulfilling to pursue a why that's positive than to avoid something that's negative, which can become painful after a while. Absolutely. You know, it's never sustainable. Joy. Yeah. Enjoy you know, and contentment are such powerful things. You know, I think, I think, you know, to me, when I look at what I get to do on a daily basis for my career, it's, it really is my purpose in this, in this world is to help people, you know, to somehow inspire people to be great at whatever they want to be great at. And I'm so content in my life that that's what I get to do. So it's like I, I get this enormous amount of joy from sharing this with people, which makes my life so content. Yes. And, and I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Well, you can, you can hear it in the way you speak, right? That you enjoy what you do and you get a lot of fulfillment from it. So we talked about situations where athletes and professionals struggle because they lack some capability. Have you dealt with a situation when athlete thinks that they're too old to perform, whereby yep. there's just some limitation they cannot get past? Well, when, when you say they can't get past it, so, you know, I haven't yet worked with an athlete where they got to a point where their career 
was over because of their age. Now we, ha I have had athletes that have, you know, gotten older and obviously they're not able to hit it as far or throw it as hard and those kinds of things. But what we have figured out is a way for them to then focus on other areas of their game so that they can still be competitive at the highest level. You know, oh, in the book. That's an interesting way of saying it. So basically, let me just, I'm always going to paraphrase things so the listeners understand all these key insights that you are saying. So let's assume, I don't know if you follow soccer, football, Cristiano Ronaldo at the peak of his career, also at the upper age limit, going back to Manchester United, he cannot run as fast. He cannot tackle as hard. He cannot cover as much of the field as he could have before. So what you're saying in this situation, the advice you would give him and the way you'd teach him to self-coach is what are the other things he can do that make him just as valuable as before that don't rely on skills that have an age limitation? Is that the way to think about it? Absolutely right. I couldn't have said it any better. It would be, it would be what could we do to figure out how you can be effective in ways that maybe you weren't effective before? And then how can we maximize those things that in the past maybe weren't strengths and turn them into strengths so that you can still be one of the, or, you know, the most competitive athlete, you know, when you're out on the pitch. Yeah. And again, it, it's, it's redefining what competitive means. Maybe before you was the world's top goal scorer, but now he plays a central role at guiding the team so that the overall team is winning, but he's not the guy scoring. Just an, an example, right? Absolutely right. You know, and, and that could be the sole purpose for him to be out there. But when he sees that as the value, you yes. know, then that, that becomes his new why. And that's what brings him joy. So maybe he's not scoring, you know, two or three goals or, you know, whatever a game, but now he's a central part of leadership on the field and his teammates are still scoring, you know, two or three goals a game. And, you know, and, and essentially it, it's the same net effect. So I'm guessing that a big part of your work must be dealing with the identities players have of themselves. Because if Cristiano Ronaldo's identity, and I don't know the guy, but I'm guessing if his identity is that he is the world's leading goal scorer, unless he's willing to put that identity aside and take on a new identity, he'd never be able to follow through on this. I agree with that. And I would say that, again, though, that that identity that he had before is a belief. It's a belief. And, yes, absolutely. Right. And so, you know, if he wants to continue to play at the highest level, he's going to have to have a different belief, because like you said, you know, the capabilities physically that he may have at this point might hold him back from being that athlete that he was in the past. But if he is able to accept his new role and believe that now he is the best, you know, playing leader in the world. And that's something that he can, you know, find joy in doing and, and play with that idea, then, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to be equally as valuable because what matters, what matters is, is the team plays as a team and they're able to win, you know, enough games that they can be competitive for, you know, whatever the, whatever it is they're playing for. You said something very insightful. You said that an identity is a belief. It's something we choose to create our brand around. It's something that we've made the decision. And for many people, they forget it's a choice they've made and they can make another choice. Absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm not sure about you, but you know, I've had you know, three or four different careers in my life. 
and every career that I had, I thought that I was very successful at, at those things. But, you know, being a performance coach is very different than running a boat charter business in San Diego and, yes. and being, you know, in charge of a charter business in San Diego is very different than being part of a elite fire team in, in the U.S. Air Force, you know, but all of those things, I had a belief at some point I had to make a change in that belief and create this new identity and this new self-image and this new self-belief that I could be as successful as I was before at this new career. And when you were an Air Force pilot, and if I saw you one day after you flew and we had a B and I asked you, uh, you know, Jason, what about becoming a performance coach for superstar athletes? You know, how about giving that a go? You would have said that's impossible because you've gotten caught up in how to do it. But once you just start doing it and focus on step-by-steps, it becomes easier. And that's the problem with identities. We lock ourselves into making it the only thing we can do. Absolutely right. And, you know, and I, and I hear from athletes all the time, you know, if I, if I didn't, you know, play baseball or, you know, I didn't play football or, or basketball, who knows what I'd be doing. You know, I'd probably be a contractor laying bricks or, yeah. and I have to remind them. I said, well, hold, hold on a second. There's nothing wrong with, with being a bricklayer. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's honor in, in every profession, you know? So if you were a bricklayer, I guarantee you, you would have been the best bricklayer in the world because the amount of time and energy and focus that you put in to become one of the greatest athletes at your particular sport, you could have been a neurosurgeon. You could have been, you know, whatever you want, you know? And so to me, I think that's what people don't understand. And, and you're right. If you had talked to me when I was in the air force, there's no way that you'd have said, Oh, you'd run a boat charter business and you do that for 15 years. And then you'd go on to have a career and professional sports, I would have said, Michael, you're crazy. There's no way. But at the end of the day, I just apply myself the same way I applied myself in the Air Force and the same way I applied myself at the boat company and the same way I applied myself in creating this career as a performance coach. And I created this new identity of this person I wanted to be based on, you know, where I was in my life and my new life's purpose. You know, so I think I think you can have different purposes and different whys, you know, in your life and, uh, and be equally successful at whatever you want to do. And I think for um, people in the entertainment field, and I'm putting professional athletes there, although they probably wouldn't say that. If you look at uh, the music industry, acting, professional sports, and so on, unlike, let's say, a career and management consulting or investment banking, there's no clear career path. I mean, most people want to go into management consulting, end up in management consulting, and they know what to do to be promoted. But when you speak to people in the artistic industries, like singing, acting, sports, they almost feel that a series of lucky events got them to where they were, and they cannot replicate it. Yeah, it's interesting, because I have worked with uh, a few actors and comedians as well. And again, it's all about mindset. Yes. So so if you, if you can start to talk to people and figure out what their self-limiting beliefs are or their joy blockers, you know, what are the things that are depleting their joy? Yes. And you can identify those things and replace those things with things that bring them joy. You know, the audience is going to pick up on it. And so we've had tremendous amount of success with these, these actors and comedians that I've coached in the past. And it, it comes back to mindset, right? So if, if you believe you can't, or you, you believe won't. you can, yeah. you know, you're right. Yes, that's very true. Because 
everyone feels that, and you can speak to anyone in the world, they always have some limiting belief that's holding them back in some way, no matter how successful, and I'm sure you've seen that as well. It's always about being able to unearth that and figure out why it's their limiting belief and what it's holding them back from doing. Absolutely. And once you get to that point and you can identify that thing, you know, then you can start to dismantle it, or then you can start to come up with the strategy to overcome it. But it's, yes. it, com it comes back to self-awareness, right? It comes back to knowing yourself and it comes back to knowing what you really want. And it comes back to, you know, creating this purpose-filled life that's in alignment with your virtues and values and figuring out what really brings you joy. And then what's the thing that if somebody said, Michael, I want you to do this for the rest of your life, you would say, oh my God, I cannot imagine doing anything else for yes. sure that's going to happen nobody could stop you from doing it absolutely you know what's a really pity about all of this is that if you look at our educational system from all the way from high school university graduate school and so on we teach things like math and finance in some cases chemistry physics and so on can you imagine how different the world would be if we taught these kind of skills to people at a younger age yeah, it's, I mean it's it's one of the things that that I hope in my lifetime I'm able to do for middle school and high school students is is get to a point in my career where I have enough time where I can donate my time to talking to these schools because I agree with you, you know, I wish somebody would have given me this information when I was in middle school or high school. Um, I I don't know, like I, I don't have any regrets in my life, but I I think that I would have had a better understanding that things were going to turn out better than I did at the time, you know? So I think for kids that are, you know, especially in today's day and age, you know, everything seems so uncertain. I think for sure, if they were to teach these kinds of skills, I think young people would feel better about their future. Do you find that athletes are more open to this kind of mentoring and coaching earlier or later in their careers do they need to first face a setback before they can be open to the idea that they can be better you know i work with a lot of you know like elite level junior athletes as well yes. and 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 i would say that everybody has the same kinds of uh potential issues when it comes to belief so i don't i don't think that young people or adult athletes have any, you know, get out of jail free card when it comes yeah. to creating doubt. And I feel like what everybody needs is they need a person in their life that understands and can su support them in a way that allows them, you know, to get outside of themselves enough so that they can figure out, you know, do I really want to pursue this? Is, is this something that I really want to devote my life to? And once they make that decision, you know, then it's about, you know, supporting them to achieve that particular goal. Yeah, you almost need a truth teller around you who's going to question what you think to be an absolute truth. Well, I think, you know, we all could develop that skill, you know, so, you know, one of the things that, you know, because, you know, I'm not immune, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there are days that, I, you know, I get in my own head and I start to question how good I am at what I do. You know, and, and what I usually do is I go through this process where I say, you know, is it happening now? Yeah. And then I answer that yes or no. And then I say, is it real? And then I answer that yes or no. And then, and then the, the, last, the last question I ask is, you know, is it useful? 
And, you know, and if I can, if I can go through and ask those questions, you know, pretty much it allows me to get back into, to being present and I'm able to let go of the thought because most of the time it's not happening now, right? I'm time traveling, right? I'm in the past or I'm in the future, right? You know, it's not real, right? Like the thing I've created it, right? And it's, and, you know, usually it's not useful. You know, so to me that, you know, if, if you have, you know, that, that progression that you go through whenever you find yourself, you know, being in your head and creating these problems, it's a way to get yourself out of them pretty quickly. Yeah, it's almost as if people need to diarize 30 minutes a week, where they sit down and actually think about the beliefs, limiting beliefs they have, any beliefs they have, and whether this is a true belief. But I, people I, don't I, take the time to do that. They usually just go ahead and implement, implement, implement and make choices, life choices, career choices, and so on, on a set of beliefs that may turn out to be not what they should be believing in the first place. But nobody takes the time to actually sit down, interrogate these things and make sure it's the right way to make decisions. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think if, if people did that, we'd live in a completely different society. Because I've seen people make enormous personal choices, career choices, without understanding why they're making those choices. Right. And again, it's based in some belief, probably not based in reality. And, uh, you know, and then they're, they're really going to end up struggling because the belief that they have is something that's not in alignment with who they are. Absolutely. And that's exactly what it is. People will always make decisions that pull them towards the identity they've chosen for themselves. Well, they have to, right? Because they have to, because that's the identity they've chosen for themselves. Right. They they're defending the belief is, is reality. And if they, they did what you said, which is sit down, you know, and go through the exercise of these are the things I believe to be true. And then examining those things that they believe to be true they're, you know, they're going to realize pretty quickly that most of the things that they have written down as beliefs probably aren't based in reality. Yeah. You know, what's the scary thing is imagine you, you do this when you're about 35 and you're 40 and you've built a life around those beliefs and you realize those beliefs are not what you hold most dear. Right. But the beauty of it, Michael, is, is then you have the rest of your life to pursue what really matters. Exactly. So that's the point I was going with, because one of the reasons why people don't do it is because they are scared about what the answer will be. Right. But the only way that they're able to get past that and get to where they're truly happy and content and have a joy filled life is to face that fear. And again, most of the time, the fear is imaginary. It's a belief as well. It's just something they believe that if I give up this, for example, marriage, for example, I'm going to be nobody. I'm going to be living on the streets. That's a belief and they stay in a bad marriage, right? Right. You know, and and it's, you know, no different than a career choice that they made. And, you know, now they have a house and all these things and they think it's all about the things. But at the end of the day, they're miserable going to work. You know, it's only a matter of time before that misery comes home to their home life and pretty soon they're just miserable, right? So, so why not have a, a way where you start to identify, hey, you know, here's a list of things that really bring me joy. And here's a list of things that get in the way of my joy, you know, and, and here's the purpose-filled life that I wish I would have created for myself. Well, if you, you sat down and you figured that out and you started to work towards that thing, you know, you're, you're going to end up having a much happier life. You know, sure, there might be some, 
some times that you have to go through yes. uh, that aren't, you know, that aren't, you know, enjoying, you know, where you're, you know, and they're difficult, but in the long run, you're going to end up with a life where you're much happier, you know, and content and, you know, and have so much more joy in your life. So, you know, to me, you know, I was in that position when I was running the boat company in San Diego, it was a, a great job and I was paid a lot of money and my bosses were great. And, you know, and I had 13 boats and all this responsibility. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic until I realized that this wasn't my purpose for being here. And it was, you know, difficult to leave all of that and start a completely new career where I had no experience, but I knew that's what I needed to do. And once I made that decision, then, you know, what we were saying earlier is nobody could stop me from achieving that new career. And, you know, if I look back on it, there's, there's no comparison. So, so I had a, you know, I had a life where most people would say that's very successful life. Yes. And yet I knew deep down in my soul that that wasn't why I was meant to be here. And so, you know, there were, you know, times it was difficult to leave it, you know, and it was difficult for a few years, you know, in between before I, you know, became a person that people wanted to, to work with in this new career. But I look back on it 12 years ago. And I think to myself, it was the greatest decision I ever made. Yes. I mean, if you think about all that, you can summarize it up into saying, don't make decisions from a position of fear. Yeah. You know, there's a great, there's a great story there because uh, that's exactly how this transition happened for me in my life. So, so I went and saw a movie and I left the movie and it was New Year's Eve and I was there with my wife and I said, my new year's resolution is I'm never going to make a decision based in fear again. And so that was, you know, pretty, pretty big resolution. It sounds like a simple thing, but it's probably the most important. If there's one skill anyone can master, it's don't make decisions from a position of fear. Absolutely right. Right. You know, have courage for sure. And so the next day, you know, my wife had said to me, she says, Oh, so, you know, what are you thinking about doing for your next career? And I said, you know, I really don't know. And she says, well, why don't you do something in golf? And my initial reaction to her was, well, why would I do something in golf? You know, I never played professional golf. Who, who would ever want to take a golf lesson from me? And of course she goes, that sounds like a decision based in fear. If you ask me, you know, and she was right, but that was the spark I needed to yeah. say, okay, hold on a second. If I really want this, if I really want to pursue this, what do I need to do? And I just looked at it like I would look at any kind of business decision. And I started gathering information and making decisions. And once it started to roll, it just kept on gaining momentum. And the next thing you know, you know, that's, that's what I'm doing for a living. Yeah, people forget that we don't start our lives knowing anything, everything we want to do, we have to learn how to do it. So Absolutely. if you're not happy with something, and you need to do something new, you're just going to go through the process you've always gone through, which is you're going to learn how to do it. Some people don't want to go to that, but that's life. We've been doing it our whole lives, right? Yeah. I think I read somewhere a study about how many attempts it takes a toddler to learn to walk. And I remember it being something like 30,000 attempts before a toddler learns to walk. And if you think about that, right, they don't have the ability to communicate their frustrations. They can't ask, hey, I'm really struggling with this. How do I do that, right? I mean, so they, there's no ability for them to communicate with people that could potentially help them. 
but we all seem to manage to figure out how to walk. Yes, that's a good way to think about it, right? Toddlers just keep on going because it's an existential issue for them. They have to do it. Right. And it's just the, the daily, right, commitment to continuing to try, right? And, and there's no financial reward at the end, right? People always want to do something for the money. This isn't about the money. This is the fact that I have to do this. I need my freedom. Exactly right. It goes, it goes back to the, the need, right? You get that yes. need state figured out. When you need to do something, I think you will amaze yourself at what you're capable of. I like that. I think that's a good way to end up the podcast is to always, is to get the audience to have a strong need or a strong why for why they want to do something. Once you unlock that, the rest of it can fall into pieces. Yeah, I think if the audience was just to figure out what brings them the most joy and how do they figure out to have more of that in their life, and create a need state around that, I think we're going to have a tremendous amount of successful listeners. Jason, thank you so much. I mean, I don't want to keep you away from golfing in Bahamas and all the hard work you're doing down there. <laughs> I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let everyone dream about having a life like you where they can play golf for work with superstars and then sit on the beach. I mean, it's a good life. And I'm happy you found what you like doing. But it seems that the techniques you have I don't want to say they're simple because they're not simple. It takes a lot of practice to get them right. But they are, they are not things that out of reach for people. Absolutely not. Every single person listening to this podcast could do you know, what I've done and, and more. Right? I'm, there is nothing special about me other than I was able to identify you know, this need state and what brought me joy. And then I just pursued it. Fantastic, Jason. Remember to buy your wife a gift when you get home because uh, yeah. she triggered you into this career move. A absolutely, Michael. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much, Jason. It was a great pleasure. We'll be in touch. All right. Bye-bye. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.